This is Esculapius, a podcast that uncovers the human side of our healthcare professionals. I'm your host, John Neary. Today, my guest is Parker Lyons. Parker lives in San Diego and works as a senior financial analyst at Twitter. In December 2021, Parker was hospitalized at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, uh, due to some severe complications stemming from ulcerative colitis. After over two months of transfusions, surgery, biopsies, blood tests, IV placements, and and near-death experiences, Parker beat the odds and survived uh, through an array of medical challenges, a journey that he uh, documented on medium.com, which uh, the links for that will be in the show notes. Uh, Today, he continues his miraculous recovery, which has inspired family, friends, and medical professionals uh, to never doubt the resilience of the human spirit. I guess I should also mention that Parker and I are are old buddies from Montgomery, New Jersey, so uh, childhood friends, so always, always enjoy catching up. So Parker, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sean. Yeah, it's such a privilege. I think, um, again, what a what a terrible excuse to catch up, but I think it's it's been long overdue. So it's awesome to see your smile and and to just reminisce a bit about about golfing around around New Jersey a bunch. But yeah, it's great to be here and um, just really excited to to share my story however I can, but also just just catch up with it. Yeah, so your your medical situation was was very complex when you were hospitalized. Can you uh, can you briefly describe you know your medical journey from your initial ER visit in, in Las Vegas all the way through to some of your rehabbing? Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll try to keep it remotely short, but it, it was it's a bit of a blur. Um, but yeah, I guess you know probably a better starting place is heading into twenty twenty one. I was honestly in the best shape of my life and extremely strong and you know, running half marathons on weeknights for the hell of it, you know, re- just really kind of in, in great physical and mental shape and job was going well and every, everything was running smoothly. Um, like you mentioned, I have struggled with ulcerative colitis for a while um, since high school, but have been on remission um, with a drug called Humira, which is an immunosuppressant um, for probably several years at that point. Um, all of a sudden, a combination of a lot of things happened. So um, I actually hurt my back while I was lifting a bit. And so my level of activity had to go down pretty substantially. Um, later found out that I also had pneumonia and then got COVID. And then just a slew of other things probably within a couple weeks span. Um, in the same amount of time, I dropped from about 180 pounds to probably closer to 150 um, and just was continuing to feel very, very sick. Um, I think, you know, what, with a bunch of things like, um, colonoscopies and endoscopies and all these different things kind of led to the obvious answer, which was my, my colon was extremely inflamed and I was going through a pretty severe flare up. Um, so kind of the onslaught of medications like prednisone and some other steroids were, were kind of administered and, what we eventually figured out with some pretty unique testing was that my body just wasn't responding to Chimera as it was before. Um, so apparently, you know, that does happen over time. You know, sometimes your body will build resiliency to, to kind of that itself. And um, so instead of Chimera kind of doing its thing and, you know, allowing kind of the inflammation to die down, it was kind of having the reverse effect that it was supposed to. Um, so getting off of that and then just being on steroids for a while, 
you know, made, made me very susceptible to infection um, and, and a lot of other things that could go wrong. Um, in the meantime, I was trying, you know, to get onto a new immunosuppressant, which is Stellara. Um, so prior authorizations and all this documentation, administrative stuff, just to get on this really expensive drug, you know, took, took weeks. Um, and I, I remember literally the day before Thanksgiving, before I flew out um, to just outside of Nashville to visit my mom, I finally got my first infusion. So I thought that that was kind of like, you know, all right, I dropped, I dropped 40 pounds. Like I'm really, really sick and colitis symptoms are all over the place, but I'm like, I can barely eat, but like, this is kind of going to be the turning point. We found kind of the new point to move on and get out of this flare up. Um, and then, you know, I just started feeling a tiny bit better, but not really. I think what's, you know, interesting is that it's really hard to look at stuff like, you know, compared to the day before and a few days before you're, you're probably okay. But you know, when you really look at it and you're like a month goes by, you're a lot, lot sicker, you know, than, than you thought you were. Um, and so, you know, I, I was probably trying to play a little bit tough, but also, you know, put a lot of trust in the medication and my doctors that were trying to figure it out at the time. Um, and so I actually, you know, right after that, was feeling like, you know, this medication is going to make me healthier. I've had this trip planned forever to go to a football game with my buddy and uh, meet him in Las Vegas for, you know, literally just three or four days um, after the first week of December. Um, ended up making it there. And then by the time I, you know, was trying to make it out of there on the plane, I almost fainted after I checked into the flight and was kind of down the runway heading onto the plane. And, and nearly passed out several times um, just standing there after, you know, a couple of tough days, not really being able to eat, not really being able to, to do anything in Vegas. Um, and so for obvious reasons, they didn't let me fly home. Um, and, and so instead kind of hopped on an ambulance and headed straight to, straight to Vegas for treatment. Um, I waited in a waiting room in the ER in Vegas for about eight or nine hours. So this is this is peak COVID. Um, and so even though they were able to administer IVs to me, it was out of the waiting room, which is pretty insane. Um, and then eventually finally got my own room. My parents were called and, um, finally got my buddy on his way back, back home. But, um, they couldn't really figure out what was going on, but my heart rate was spiking dramatically very often. Um, and so, even if I were just to literally just get up out of bed for a second, you know, it would go kind of above like 170. And so all of these tests, you know, to, to check heart, you know, went by and, you know, that, that was okay, fortunately, but, you know, then they, you know, I was telling them, I, I know what this is. I'm going through a really, you know, severe flare up and this is just kind of like the continuation of it. Um, and they eventually convinced me to, to spend the night there, which fortunately they did. Um, they took, they took some scans and noticed that a couple of my, you know, major organs were very enlarged. Um, they realized that, yeah, like kind of the, the heart symptoms were a result of just excessive inflammation kind of throughout the body and not just in my colon. Um, they figured out that I had C. diff colitis. Um, and so they had to kind of treat that as well. Um, and then, you know, kind of more and more as time went on, I was, I was kind of, I wasn't in the ER, but I was definitely heavily monitored for probably two or three weeks there. 
and just nothing was working. Um, they were throwing extremely powerful kind of antibiotics and things to, to treat the C. diff and, um, you know, slew of doctors, infectious disease, um, hematology, kind of everyone came in and, and tried to offer, you know, something. Um, and I think they were just convinced that, you know, once we, once we take care of this, you know, C. diff side, and once you get kind of this stellara and this colitis kind of under control, then you should be good to go. But, but I was dying, um, and, and really, really quickly. And it was getting to a point where, you know, that hospital in particular is, even though they were trying really hard, they just weren't really equipped for what needed to happen and the pace that it needed to happen. And so not knowing exactly what was going on in my body, you know, these tests, blood tests that, and, you know, scans and all these things would take, you know, days at a time to come back and it just wasn't quick enough. Um, and so we were realizing really quickly and I'm so fortunate to have had, you know, my parents there with me in Las Vegas. Um, we realized we needed to make, make a game time call and then pretty quickly. And, um, fortunately my, my dad had been going to Mayo clinic. That's actually based in Jacksonville since it's pretty close to where he lives now. Um, and so he was trying to get me there just because he knew that, you know, very large research hospital could probably be able to handle extremely complicated cases. Um, every place was just totally booked with, with COVID patients. And there was just no way that, you know, I'd be able to get a transfer. Um, and then, you know, days, days went by and again, I was, I was dying, um, really quickly. And, um, eventually my dad got a very random email through a very loose connection of Mayo Clinic that figured out that they had a bed for me in Rochester, uh, Minnesota at, at their main campus. And so um, figuring out kind of within the next probably day or two how to get me there. So I took a medical plane um, and ended up getting there maybe a day or two before Christmas. And then seemed like I was getting a little better again. And then it just my body went to complete shock um, a few days after Christmas and they had to perform kind of a emergency procedure that night. Um, one that they were not very confident that I'd make it out of. And they, they made me um, and my parents reasonably aware of that. Um, and so I went to, went to sleep for a little bit. I think I was so weak at that point, you know, I, I probably weighed 120 pounds and um, everything was just so blurry kind of mentally that I, I didn't really comprehend like what was going on. Like if, if death was coming, I just, I didn't have time to really think about it. Um, but I woke up, woke up two days later um, and had my colon removed, had some really nice scars from that. Um, but I remember, you know, my, my parents running and crying and, a doctor in front of me explaining that they figured it out um, and basically, you know, saying that I'm going to survive, but it's, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> like, um, because then, you know, he, him knowing that I'm a, I'm a statistics guy decided to give me the, the fact that there are out of the four cases in medical history that they could point to that was remotely close enough to offer a, a plan of recovery for me, only two were even remotely applicable to my situation. So in the history of medical records, uh, which I think Mayo Clinic has a pretty good handle of, um, 
yeah, I got, I got two people that fortunately took, took track enough to offer some form of recommendation to, to kill this thing. Um, and so what it ended up being, and which is makes a lot of sense, you know, why so many people, there's just no way they could have caught it, you know, at that hospital in Las Vegas or my doctor before in San Francisco. Um, I had histoplasmosis, which is a pretty rare fungal infection, but combined with um, HLH, which is a kind of a blood condition, um, effectively where, you know, my, my healthy blood cells are, or my, you know, I'm, my healthy blood cells are getting attacked internally at the same time. And so, you know, that, that's what really was just hammering on my body. So, you know, probably 50 plus both blood and platelet transfusions. I remember my platelet count got to two at one point um, while I was in the hospital. And so pretty much there's no way to stop bleeding at that point. Um, and so, you know, I was told a little later on that they totally emptied out the blood, the blood bank at Mayo for me, um, those, those next couple of days. And then a lot of experimental stuff after that. And so even though it, I made it out of surgery and they knew what happened, um, you know, they, they still didn't have enough information on really how to treat it to be positive. So they, they tried a lot of things. Um, so I, you know, got some really nasty kind of, um, infusions of really heavy antifungals. Um, I went through a couple of treatments of chemo, um, had, had some hair loss there and, um, just a slew of things, uh, to, to try to at least get some of my levels trending in the right direction, but not even close to normal, but just like at least showing some promise. Um, you know, it was around, around that time after just a ton of tests and things like that, that, um, eventually the, someone was stopping by kind of scoping me out for the ability to go to inpatient rehab as my next step of recovery. Um, and at this point I, I hadn't left a bed and in weeks, I haven't taken a shower. I haven't brushed my teeth. I haven't been able to move. Um, and at one point, even I, I remember very distinctly that, you know, someone that was trying to help with my recovery brought, bought me a, a three pound weight to, you know, just try to curl or do something with it. And I, I couldn't, they had to go back and get me one that was one pound. Um, that was, that was the amount that I could lift with my arm. Um, and so I was, I was too weak to literally do anything. And here's this person telling me that like, you know, there's this potential program for you to have three to four hours of, of like fitness every day, you know, for two weeks to get you back on track. And I, I wasn't even sure I was going to survive yet. Um, and so, you know, Mayo just kept pressing man. And it was just one of those things where there is very, very, very little in my control other than, I guess, my, my attitude and my perspective and my, my trust toward those doctors. Um, and at every step of the way, you know, even though I went back and forth between the ER a couple of times and things got worse and things got better, like, I just knew that there, there's really only one route here and it's, it's to stay as remotely positive as I possibly can, but also just to literally give up everything to these people who are putting all of their entire training and their entire, you know, their entire lives into this, trying to save you. Um, so I did that and anything that was in my control, you know, I, I tried to do. So, 
you know, getting up out of bed and walking a couple steps with a walker, like were huge moments. And, you know, I needed several people to help me out of bed, um, which is, which is nuts. And then, um, eventually the day came where, you know, my, I was trending well enough. I still had to take like a pretty nasty antifungal IV, um, because the, the oral application of it wasn't working at the time. Um, but at least I'd be able to kind of get out of the hospital. So this was late January. Um, I think the last week of January. And so entering kind of with the, with the goal of the next two weeks, just trying to be able to literally with assistance, like get up a few steps, walk a couple steps, you know, with, with a cane or with a walker, um, and build any sort of, you know, thing I could do to, to regain just a little bit of independence enough to like hop on a plane and get back home. Uh, that was literally like the, the entire goal. Um, and then at the same time, you know, they were trying these new versions of antifungal medications to try to make sure that I was at a therapeutic level to be able to go home and ideally take it orally. But if not, you know, it, it would mean a couple hours of a, of an infusion every, every other day for like up to a year of something that has pretty nasty side effects and like, um, would kind of make me short on a lot of supplements that I'd end up needing to take along with it. So, you know, the reality at this point was like, I'm going to survive, which is, which is crazy. Um, cause that, that was really the first time when I made it to, um, inpatient rehab that that's when I knew I was healthy enough to live. Um, and so past that point, now it's like game on, <laughs> you know? And so whatever, whatever's coming up, it's going to be crazy depressing, you know, that I'm not able to walk a few steps. I need, you know, five people to lift me out of bed every morning to, to literally do anything. You know, I can't go to the bathroom by myself. I can't take a shower or whatever, but like, literally if I can just creep up out of my bed an extra inch, like every day, like we'll be, we'll be making some serious progress there. Um, and so by the time, you know, those two weeks went by, it was still unclear whether or not, um, any sort of oral medication would, would work. Um, so they sent me home with, with a pick line in just in case, like I'd have to get those infusions pretty often. Um, but with a pending test to see if, a very heavy dosage of what they just um, gave to me orally is at a therapeutic enough level to just take that. So I was on the, on the plane ride home and got up a couple steps with some help with my dad on that plane to, to get back uh, to my mom's just outside of Nashville. And, um, you know, scary stuff, right? This is like the first time that I don't have like world-class doctors and trainers and whoever I could possibly need to do everything. I'm, I'm by myself and, you know, with, with my mom, who's phenomenal, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's levels of training things that I gotten so used to for survival, you know, the past couple of weeks that it was a very, you know, I thought it was way too soon and trust me, I wanted to get out of there, but I was, I was terrified. Um, but once we did, I, um, I woke up the, the first morning I was there now, like four o'clock in the morning, I get a notification on my phone of those test results. And, um, I did in fact reach a therapeutic level with those oral drugs. And so that meant a radically different life for the next year. Um, 
it means that, you know, I can just take these pills twice a day and literally just focus on, you know, putting on 70 or 80 pounds as quickly as I can. Um, you know, getting strong getting my mental resiliency back, you know, at the time I, I couldn't read a page of a book, like without totally just getting lost. Like my mental capacity was just gone. Um, so, you know, I was, I was worried, you know, I, I got a great job, you know, I do really cool things for a living and I love having deep conversations and, you know, being a, being a productive human being, but I was worried that that was all going to be gone. But I, I think at the time it was like, I, I kind of treated it like a game. It's like, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to unlock, you know, areas of my life slowly, but surely, you know, that, that I used to think were really, really easy, but like, you know, something like getting out of the chair by myself is like a, is like harder than any marathon I've ever trained for. And so, but I knew that those, that that's all I need to focus on now. You know, the medical side is, is handled and, um, so that's been my past year, man. And, um, it's crazy to think I mentioned to you, I wanted to get hyped up before this podcast. So I got a good workout in, but I can, I'm leg pressing 250. Um, I'm, you know, getting some good shoulder presses of, you know, 70 or so pounds up there. I've got a long way to go, man. But, you know, I, I think about that time in particular with, you know, that them having to decrease to the one pound weight and then them having to, you know, quite literally, <laughs> I was so tall in those beds, like I'm six one, not that tall, but those beds are literally made for like people that are like five, four, but every time I would like drift, you know, keep on drifting lower and lower into my bed and I didn't have the strength to pull myself back up. So like they had to get two or three people like all the time, like every couple hours, maybe two hours to you know, lift me back up. But that was like the level of strength and fitness. Like I was at literally six months ago. <laughs> and that's it's just almost unfathomable um you know now making making friends going out to dinner having a work day you know every morning i wake up like an hour earlier than i need to and i read and i meditate and i walk my dog and like just i can do life again um and it's it's insane um the the perspective is it's often overwhelming but at the same time it's like i i wouldn't if that had to happen to me i would not have traded in the past several months for anything else in the world um because it's like that just the level of tenacity and um you know mental resiliency and perspective and understanding i'm a much more peaceful calm person like you know you you can you can punch me in the face i'm probably not i'll probably apologize to you at this point um but really it's just you know, living with insane levels of gratitude for the smallest details of life is, is something really special. Um, and so even though I've got, I've got, you know, two more kind of smaller procedures coming up to, you know, reverse some of the stuff they had to do and, um, you know, definitely plenty of room to go in terms of, you know, physical and mental recovery, but it's like, it's such a privilege at this point that it's, it doesn't feel daunting at the slightest. Um, and I don't really feel like it's ever felt all that daunting really since I left, left the hospital. Like it's been certainly shocking, um, you know, to, to realize how quickly I've 
you know, the body has just totally declined on me. Um, you know, as someone that was very used to my body, like working very fully for me all the time in my mind, um, to be at the complete opposite and like infancy stage of that is a radical thing to go through very quickly. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I've been able to just fill my days with things that, you know, keep me really happy and, um, and keep me really healthy. And I, uh, been trying not to have a drink during all of this. Cause I want to, I want to really feel it. You know, I want to really experience this stuff because, you know, if Mayo's right and there only are two other people in the world that could remotely know what I'm talking about, I feel like I should, I should be able to speak to it pretty clearly over time. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's been incredible, man. And I know that's a stupidly long winded <laughs> way to answer that, but it's like, that's the thing is I can't not tell a single part of that because it's just so, you know, it's, it's who I am now. Um, and, and so it's, um, it's insane to be here just like talking about it casually because it was not a very casual thing to talk about not that long ago, but yeah. Yeah, dude. Amazing story. I mean, I've, I've probably read your, your articles on the medium, you know, five or six times and it's just kind of amazing everything you've gone through. And it's, it's so inspiring to watch you come through at the other, the other side with, you know, a sense of gratitude and, and just like, a. I think before we were talking, you described it as your superpower, this whole experience. And I think that's, you know, talking to you is, it's such a testament to that, how you really turn this, uh, into a, a golden experience that's going to propel you forward. Thanks, man. I just want to, yeah, maybe take a step back, dive into your headspace a little, like as you were in the inpatient setting. Um, just a little snippet from 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 one of your posts here. You were kind of describing one of your low points, and you know, you said I had enough mental capacity to be almost certain that I was about to die. I even contemplated that not being. Too bad a result since living in my current uh, condition was no way to live at all. So really, yeah, if you, I know you already touched on a little bit, but what's, what's it like just being that close to, to death? And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that um, it's weird. Like, you know, the past few years I've really focused on, you know, my mental health and focus on meditation and learning kind of the concepts behind all of this stuff to try to prepare me for this crazy world. And, um, I, I felt the most prepared I could possibly be, but still wildly unprepared <laughs> for, um, for a moment like that, because it's, you know, it's, it's something that you just can't feel until you're there. Um, I, I think you can, you can get close and understand, you know, things like, oh, this is my emotional response to the situation. So, you know, that emotional response is something that I need to be aware of my reactivity toward, you know, that's something that I try to practice a lot. And, you know, so at that point being just so overwhelmingly exhausted and so just like, I don't know, just the, the unknowing and, you know, me fully giving up any control that I have over my life you know, after being someone who had a lot of control over his life, um, and, you know, a routine that was just entirely crazy resilient, you know, to be able to do none of that, um, and not really see the point where you will be able to do that ever again 
is, is really scary. Um, and so I think I, my preparation allowed me to at least point out those feelings that were kind of causing my reactivity to it, but it didn't make it any easier. Um, it just made me more aware. And, and so in being aware, I think I was able to at least offer myself some clarity during that time and in turn kind of allow myself to be a little bit more at peace than I would be otherwise. Um, at peace with an outcome that wouldn't be in my control. Um, and so if I were going to die, you know, sucks. I had a lot more to do. I had a lot more that I was planning on doing, but you know, th this is something where if I'm going to experience it, I'm going to, I'm going to experience it and not let my mind just race through it in a blur. You know, this is, this is part of life and this is what I have to have to do if that happens. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's practicing gratitude, you know, every day and, um, you know, realizing perspective and placement, you know, there, there are fleeting thoughts in my mind of also things like, you know, what if I was someone somewhere else and like, didn't have the crazy, incredible insurance that I had, you know, and didn't have their parents there to look after them and it didn't have any sort of support system. What if I were to die and like, no one would miss me. Like I, I know that like people really would <laughs> if, if that were to happen. And, um, you know, there were fleeting thoughts of positivity even during that time that I think really propelled me to, to keep trying in whatever capacity I could. And so if that means, you know, don't, don't mind so much and don't be so hard on yourself when you can't do stuff, you know, in those dark moments, like that, that helped a lot. Um, cause just being patient and knowing that, look, th there's a whole side to this that you have zero control over, which is kind of this, the side that you're leaving, you know, your fate up to with these incredibly talented, you know, doctors and staff to figure out, but there's very few things that, that are in your control, but the one is, you know, like your, your response to what's going on right in front of you. And, um, so my response wasn't, I, I didn't want to feel sad. I didn't want to feel overwhelmed. And I realized that's like a very natural response at that time, but I had some little control over that. Um, and, and so I think that's really what I focused on in those like couple critical days there where it was like really looking still very bad after I got my surgery. Um, is that, Hey, like this seems like the worst thing in the world and it's probably damn near close to it, <laughs> but, but there are still very much, you know, worse and more troubling situations that, that people have to go through and, and how, like, if this is it, I've lived an awesome life, uh, like a, a short one, but a really awesome one. And, um, and that's, that's such a privilege and a really cool thing to be able to say, even, even when you're, you know, 20, 26 years old. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that was really special, um, to just be able to go there. And, and as you mentioned, kind of a superpower now is, I mean, that's, that's the lowest of the low in a variety of emotional states that I will ever get in my entire life. Um, and 
you know, if there's even a single fleeting thought of positivity through that, then it's like nothing compares to even comes close to like you having to be very intentional about how, you know, you live day to day. Um, and, and so now it's, it's so easy for me to, to take the bright side of something or, you know, to someone that cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, oh, whatever. Like <laughs> it's not, life is not so serious, you know, just because I've, I've been there. And even though I've would never wish that on anyone, what I, what I would wish is that they'd be able to come out of it with just kind of that immense perspective and understanding of of what it looks like to stare that in the face and say like, no, like you're just not, you're not taking over me. Like I, if I'm going out, it's on my terms. Like there's not, there's not much on my terms, but this, this one can be. Um, so yeah, that was easily a very pivotal point of my life and something I'll certainly take with me forever, but you know, it could have been disastrous if I just let it, you know, fester. Just taking it a, a step further, though, just almost from like a spiritual perspective, do you th- feel like in those moments that you sort of tapped into something you, you, you didn't even know you had, whether it be sort of God or a higher power in, in those moments where, you know, you were kind of right, right, right at the edge there? For sure. Um, I've, I've thought about this a lot and it's and it's hard for me. I, I consider myself kind of agnostic in the fact that it's like, I'm just not smart enough in a lot of capacities to understand what the hell this world is about. Um, and I feel like the more I learn about the world, just the less and less and less I actually know about it. Um, and I think that the absolute pinnacle of that realization in my life is God or any sort of connection to spirituality. Um, I think at that point I was very inwardly spiritual in that, I understood the differentiation between what was going on in my mind versus what my body was trying to accomplish versus what people around me were trying to accomplish. Everything seems very clear to me in terms of the puzzle that was going on that was trying to be solved. And if it didn't get solved, it, you know, it'd be death, but I understand everyone's doing their thing. Right. So like that point of clarity, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know where it comes from. Um, if, if it was God, I, I, owe, I owe him a big one. Um, but you know, if it was some part of the human experience that just emerges at those really critical, and I mean, deeply, deeply critical moments, like that's what it was. Um, so I, I try probably less to focus on, on the how because I just don't know. And, and a lot more on like the, what, you know, the, what, the, what happened and, and, and the why of, you know, now that it happened and I'm on the other side of it, why, why did that, you know, why, why is that now a part of me? And like, what can I use it for? Um, it's, I, I think I could, I could overwhelm myself for a long time to, to think, what, what the hell happened there to, you know, get me out of there. Um, I know from a human perspective and from my conscious perspective, it was, you know, the people around me supporting me and, you know, the, the mental capacity to stay remotely aware and like a, a little bit emotionally attached from what was going on. But 
you know, beyond that, it's, it's pretty inexplicable. Um, I, I don't really have a great answer for, for how it happened. And I, and I'm okay with that, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not going to spend the rest of my days, like just wondering, you know, what, what causes someone to respond that way when they're, you know, about to cease to exist, but it's something I'll hopefully delay for a little bit longer now, but I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, I'm, I'm very much at peace with the fact that that's kind of where your mind can go. Um, so prepare if you can, but you probably can't and, and be, be okay with that. Just like be really patient with your mind and your body that's going through these extremely insane stressors, you know, and it's a miracle that they're able to survive it, but it's also a miracle when they don't, you know, it's just, it's, it's part of life and it's a really, really cool part of life. I want to uh, kind of shift a bit. Um, something we've talked, or at least I've talked to people about a lot on this show is, is just the healing power of relationships and yeah. um, how important that is. I, I know we've sort of gotten, um, we, we've talked a lot about like the medical situation, like what kind of was going on physiologically in your body, but can you, can you just kind of talk about the, you know, when you're at that point, like you said, those critical points, I feel like I think you're hard pressed to find any moments in, in, in your life, like where you would have deeper relationships with people around you. And can yes. you just speak to speak to those relationships you had at Mayo um, yeah. and like how kind of that, that was also part of the healing process. Yeah, no, that's, that's massive. Um, I will never look or be around my parents the same way again um, after kind of what they, where they've seen me go and what has happened to me while I've been around them and realizing how they handle it and then realizing how I handle it. And again, I mean, they're, they're they might've had it worse than I did because at least, at least my mind was kind of blurry. Um, you know, they were fully concentrated on, on saving their son and, um, you know, it's, it's something again, that it's like, you just push it to the brink of where you think it's possible to go in terms of a human relationship and connection. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's a surprising thing when you talk about, you know, family and friends and people that you're already very close with, but it just going to an extreme. I think the, the most surprising thing is that feeling toward like doctors and nurses and people that you're meeting for the first time. Um, I quite literally think that those people that I've met at Mayo, it, it, it's really weird to think that they've played as critical pretty much as a role in my survival and ability to live through the human experience as like my parents um, and like the, the people that are literally closest to me, I've only met a few months ago. Um, and, you know, cl close has many definitions, but, you know, when I mean close, I kind of mean, you know, seeing you at your most vulnerable possible state and being nothing but supportive and, and pushing you in everything, using every single thing at their disposal to make sure that you are going to get to whatever is the best possible state from that low position. Um, 
that's a really powerful and, and crazy thing. Um, and so I actually spoke with um, one of the doctors that was in the ER um, at the time, kind of right around the time of my surgery, when it was really just not looking good at all. Um, he read my, my Medium post, fortunately, and reached out to me um, over Twitter and was just mentioning how, first off, like unbelievable of a thing it was from his perspective, but also just the potential power that, you know, a relationship could be after the fact if, if I wanted it to be. Um, and so that means, you know, keeping in touch with these doctors and nurses and staff that helped me through at these really critical times, you know, from quite literally the brilliant minds that were able to find those possible ways to heal me, you know, all the way to people like just cheer me on when I'm walking down a hallway for, you know, 50 feet on a walker, like going like <laughs> slower than any old man I've ever seen try to walk. But like, they, they've each played such a critical and, you know, such a spontaneous and selfless role, like through the most vulnerable, critical points of my life. And it's, um, that's something I wasn't prepared for at all, um, to feel like by the end of that leaving, it was like, not only was I just really overwhelmed for my own recovery process, like I was overwhelmed because I'm leaving these people that have helped me survive the past several weeks. Um, and I've played literally a, a like crazy important role in doing that. Um, so what's, what's really special and cool is when I go back to Mayo in, in a couple weeks here and, you know, probably a couple weeks after that for two more kind of quick procedures, hopefully like I'm going to be meeting these people and, going to dinner with them and like getting to know who they are, where they come from, who their family is, like what relationships they have. And, um, it's crazy that I don't know them on that level. Right. I don't know them on the small talk level. <laughs> I, know them, I know them way, way deeper than that. Um, but I like, don't know any little detail. I barely, like I had to look up their emails and their names and stuff, but it's like, Oh, but, you know, they were literally the only people in the room, you know? And so, um, that's a, that's a really crazy experience and one that, um, you know, I, I think gives me just a more, a more positive outlook on humanity and, um, you know, that there are people out there that lay it all on the line for very little benefit of their own. <laughs> um, to make sure that, you know, they can do everything in their power to, to heal and to solve and to do whatever they possibly can. And they, they fail quite a bit, but damn, when, when it works, it works. And, you know, I want to make sure that when I meet them again, they know that like, <laughs> you know, those I'm sure were some of the harder nights in their careers and it's not going to go, you know, to waste. Um, and, you know, part of that would be a waste if I didn't keep in touch with them and check in and show them my progress and, you know, ask them about their life outside of, you know, the hospital, which very much exists, but that's, you know, all I know them for right now. Um, but it's pretty cool. I think, yeah, with, with doctors and, you know, with my 
with my parents in particular, it's like those, I, I don't, I almost hope I don't have relationships as deep as that ever again, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, you have to be pretty much in that level of circumstance to be able to have it. But I'm, you know, so thankful and grateful that they were there. Cause that's, you know, that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. I mean, I think, um, for, for a lot of doctors, I'm sure there's, there's certain patients who just always will stick out in their mind. And I think for some of those guys, you're, you're certainly that. And as you continue to, to recover and thrive, I'm sure that's, that's just, you know, making them, making it worthwhile for them. And I think that that's something so special that you can do for them. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never envied the life of a doctor, really anyone that works in a hospital. It's a very insanely hard environment. Um, but I think after this is the first time that I've actually understood why, why people do it, um, is, is because it's just like, literally if, if this happens to them one time in their career and it was, you know, me, they're able to get through something that's this complicated. Like I, I need to make, it's my obligation now to make it as fulfilling as humanly possible. Um, for myself, but also for, for those, you know, support systems throughout it's, I, I feel very much like a deep obligation to, to work toward that every day. I want to blow this up a little bigger picture now. Um, kind of looking at our healthcare system, you've, you know, between, um, it, it, it sounds like there was a lot of ups and downs throughout your, your whole journey. I, I think you have the, uh, you know, the experience too of, you dealt with this chronic issue for, for a while that that has a certain, uh, you know, number of experiences associated with it, then you were kind of in a more acute setting. So as you've gone through all this stuff, you know, ulcerative colitis, and then the whole the whole hospitalization, can you just sort of reflect on moments or, or aspects of our healthcare system where where things really shine and other and then on the flip side, kind of things that are, are really broken in our system? Yeah, I, I think I can I'll go on a longer winded answer, but the summary of that is I think we have some of the most talented, incredible people in the world working on this, in this system and probably some of the, I guess, like some of the worst designs of a system or how data talks to one another or, you know, how things, how insurance and how medications are handled like that I've could have possibly imagined, um, just in terms of like, I, I am at so fortunate to have probably some of the best insurance that money can buy, um, through my company. And with that, my experience has been extremely painful, like in terms of getting, you know, medications with prior authorizations approved, getting pharmacies to override you know, certain kind of caps on, you know, medication prices and getting doctors to, you know, have their systems talk to one another when they're using, you know, legacy things and have stuff in paper and, you know, sending files that aren't formatted correctly that I only figure out a month later, you know, when I'm still on prednisone and stuff like that, that's making me, you know, extremely susceptible to bad things. Like I was very much at the mercy of, our healthcare system to be able to get this level of care. Um, and like I said, I mean, I'm, 
I've got pretty much the best of the best. And so if, if I was really suffering through a lot of this, it gives me a lot, you know, more perspective of like, this is bad. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's bad, not, not only because, you know, stuff is old and trying to adapt to a, you know, more technological era. And, you know, there's, I, I think it's, it's bad because of the access and, and lack of it. Um, you know, I, without this, um, insurance, I, I'd probably end up with a several million dollar, you know, bill at the end of this, um, that I'd be working to pay off for the rest of my life. Um, and, you know, with this, it, it, you know, a couple thousand bucks, which I'm so fortunate to, to run away with, but like, I just can't imagine for anyone who wasn't in my perfect position, I, I don't think they would have survived. Um, because by the time it's, you know, getting these medications in your system, going to hospitals, getting approvals, um, trying different medications that also require new prioritizations and new things for my insurance to try to bill against, you know, doctors can only kind of move at the pace that that moves. Um, and, you know, trying to get medical transport from one hospital to another and having to prove to a company that I need it, even though you've got teams and teams of experts saying that I'm going to die if I don't, you know, that's, that's really concerning. Um, so I, I've kind of realized that, you know, one, the fact that your insurance is connected to your employment makes no sense to me at all. Um, in fact, the people that necessarily need insurance far more are people that are worse off and either aren't employed or aren't employed at a, you know, place that offers them really good benefits. Those are probably the people that have worse, you know, symptoms and problems and things that they need to address. Um, so you're, you're really addressing the wrong market when, when you talk about kind of insurance being tied, really good insurance being tied to people that already probably live a very healthy and good lifestyle. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, there's, there's, there's gotta be a better way in terms of, you know, how, how data flows and, you know, how stuff should not take five business days to clear, you know, stuff can't. Your, your body and medication and care cannot be dependent on the administration administrative side of our healthcare system. It's just not sustainable. Um, and so, like I said, I think what I'll, I'll praise our healthcare system for is developing all of these incredible medications and all of these incredibly talented people to figure this stuff out and to do so in time to help people survive. But they will always be at the mercy of this big overhead that's like looming where they just can't push stuff through at the pace that they're coming up with it because of a giant bog down system. And I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I know the answer because I, I really don't. Um, but I do think that that's a huge concern for the future of the world of medicine, not just in the U S but anywhere is that, there's this whole administrative side and even like profitability side and all of it that is just really against what healthcare should be about, which is caring for your health <laughs> like, and, and actually healing people. Right. So it's like you have these very poor incentive structures on one end 
that is entirely in charge of incentive structures on people that are just trying to help others survive. Um, and that's, that's a really challenging thing. I know that's a huge deterrent for people, you know, to stay passionate and, you know, rejuvenated in the medical field, but it's, you know, such an opportunity as well in my mind for us to get better at. So I hope that, that you know, I'm, I know that I'm not the only one that's been at the mercy of something like this. And, you know, I know people live with medical debt and even freaking inherit it from their parents, you know, just trying to, trying to save them in certain situations. And it just, something, something's got to give at, at some point. Um, and so I think the, the structures that we have in place right now to incentivize care are just a little, a little out of whack, which is concerning if they, you know, kind of continue that way. Yeah. Now I remember reading, um, kind of in your article and, and you mentioned it, right. Even when you were heading to Mayo, even when you were like at your critical of critical moments, still somehow there was, you know, the bu bureaucracy and the billing and everything managed to either delay or kind of present an obstacle to your care. And sure. I just, I imagine both you and your family must have been just, <laughs> yeah, just like, you know, I, I, I think everybody gets the idea there and how, yeah. how frustrating that must be. Um, yeah, when, it's one of those things again, it's like, who, who when, when time is of the, of the essence too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I remember going through my mind I, and I try to remember this a lot because, you know, service industries of all kinds are very frustrating. Right. But we, we worked in some service industries before too. And, you know, who, who's the blame in this situation? Like, is it, is it the doctor that's trying to save your life? Is it the insurance company that, you know, has management that's insisted that you need to get a return on, you know, the investment for people that pour money into these companies? Is it the government who has tried to offer some solutions, but can't, you know, get it done? There are so many sides, you know, to this that would need to come up with some sort of solution that, you know, being, being mad at just like the person on the phone that's not getting through a, a specific medication at a specific time is just not, you're not looking at it holistically enough. And, and it's such a waste of time, you know, when you're just like yelling at a pharmacist for, for literally like absolutely nothing that they could do about it. You know, much, much more broadly, it's like, you know, okay, you know, why, why are, why are they not giving me this care? <laughs> and like, so do doctors are saying, I totally need it. I need it, you know, yesterday if possible, but you know, an insurance company is waiting on approval, but they only are doing that because X, Y, Z says that they have to, you know, and then, you know, the medical board says that you can only do these things. And I can't receive care out of state, you know, for this one medication that I need delivered in California for once I go home. It's like, what's, what's to, what's to give here? Um, so it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely exhausting and daunting, but I think it's just like, it's hard to even put a dollar, much less like a human figure on what would be resolved if we resolved all of that. Like just in terms of like how much healthier people would be and how many more lives would be saved and how much less capacity hospitals would have to deal with, you know, and in, in terms of like having to keep healthy people around just because they can't be released for this, that, or the other reason, you know, like it's almost impossible to overstate like the value of figuring that out. 
Um, and so that's definitely something if, if I ever, you know, come into the resources or into the field where it's possible to work on something like that, um, I, I would love to try <laughs> at least, at least get some discussions in the right direction. Um, because it's just so critical. And, and again, like I am the 1% of the 1% of the coverage of like what's possible in that system. And I had a miserable time. So I, I just can't imagine the average person who, you know, either doesn't have insurance, has very bad insurance and, you know, families and aren't there to push things through while they're sick and like all this stuff, like, yeah, I, I'd be dead hundred percent. Um, but I can't imagine that, like how many cases there are just like that. Hmm. It's crazy. Just want to wrap up our discussion and kind of, you know, look at overall how this experience has just affected you. Um, I know you said kind of before your sort of health crisis, right? You'd wake up at 5.30, work out, meditate, feed and walk the dog, shower, breakfast and coffee, uh, check out the news, go to work, make dinner, um, so on and so forth. And you just put repeat. And I'm was kind of curious, you know, when I, when I read that a couple of times, like going through all this stuff, do you feel like you've sort of just, have you settled back into that? You want to settle back into that? Or is there, you know, do you kind of do it in a different way? I, I'm kind of curious whether you've sort of gone back to that or there, it, your life's different now. Yeah. I mean, so it's funny. I haven't read that in a while. Um, that exact routine that I kind of had before, but it's, it's pretty much word for word what I do now. Um, <laughs> like almost spot on maybe except I, I read a little less news and I read, you know, more, more books that I've been wanting to read for a while. Um, but the huge difference is along each individual step of that routine. So me waking up, you know, I, I, I used to just fly through that and go to the gym and hop on the bus and, you know, go, you know, walk my dog and, and do this, that, and the other thing. But now it's, okay, really cool that I can get out of the bed by myself now. Okay, it's really cool that I can walk a couple steps. It's really cool that I can have the strength to hold on to my dog who's getting pretty big now, you know, walking around the, the city. It's really cool that I have the mental capacity to be able to read and focus on like this news or whatever, you know, it's, it's really cool that I'm able to go to work and perform at a really high level again. Um, it's just like each of those steps, I don't just do it because it makes me feel like I had a good, fulfilling, productive day. I do it because I can again. And it's like that, that level of perspective and understanding of very small details of your day is a really crazy way to live. Um, and it's a way to live that I wish I could give to every single person that I know without them having to go through that experience. But I realized that that's impossible. Um, so I might as well leverage that, you know, for, for my life for years to come, hopefully, is, is that all of the minute details of those transitions between those actions are just as important and incredible and cool as like the actions themselves. Um, and that's really what I want to focus on forever is to not lose touch of that. And so even though my days are, you know, faster and I'm able to do things and multitask and 
you know, cook while doing like a hundred other things and listen to TV shows and whatever, like I just was so not able to do, to just get out of bed, like six months ago, like just not, not long ago at all. Um, and so the ability to, you know, to be able to do this stuff, you know, I haven't, I haven't missed a single step in that routine, literally, I think since I've left the hospital, but it's like that it just, it feels like I'm living so much more because I'm realizing what I'm doing throughout all of it and not, not just, not just doing it. Um, and it's, it's cool, man. I, uh, like I said, I'd, I'd share it if I could, but if, um, if folks could at least, you know, take a, take a second to just look at what their hands and their feet and their mouth and their minds, you know, are, are doing to be able to do the stuff that they want to do in a day. I think, um, yeah, you getting, getting angry at the telemarketer that calls you at seven, you know, right before dinner or the person that cuts you off in traffic or the little noise that's taking place down the hall when you're trying to sleep. Like, it's just who, who cares? Like (laughs) that's not, that's not even remotely like the cool parts of life that you should be totally, totally grateful for. So I'm hoping to continue that. And at the same time, like, I don't want, I don't want it to overwhelm me. You know, I don't want to be afraid to walk up a flight of steps because every single step I'm amazed that I can go up one. Right. But at the same time, just appreciate that I can and then, and then move on and appreciate the next thing and, and just be very present and, and very happy that, you know, this stuff is coming back into my life and that greater velocity and, um, and, you know, I'll try to earn it back and then some. Right on, man. It sounds like, yeah, you're, you're seeing the extraordinary and the ordinary and kind of bringing that for sure that sense of wonder, um, to your every day. And, you know, I think that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, life, life is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think the, the minor inconveniences tend to accumulate into, you know, far worse reactions than you should probably have. But, you know, the opposite's true too. Like the minor miracles that are going on at every step of the way, you know, we sometimes don't let them accumulate into joy um, when we really should. So like that's, that's something that I'll try to, you know, practice forever and try to preach it too while I'm at it. Right on. Parker Lyons, thanks so much for joining the show, man. John, it's a pleasure, buddy. It's great to catch up, and this is not going to be the last time that we do just for a podcast sake. That concludes this episode of Esculapius. Till next time, I'm your host, John Neary. Be well.